Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Most Wanted Podcasts on BBC Sounds. Where is the missing crypto queen's billionaire scammer? It starts to get very scary, very fast. How did gangster's drug baron finally get caught? He was taken completely unawares. Why were Burn Wild's environmentalists labelled eco-terrorists? They were getting away with it, but that wouldn't last. Uncover a new case while you're stuck in traffic. Listen to True Crime Podcasts on BBC Sounds. February 15, 1997, Hastings, East Sussex, United Kingdom. 13-year-old Billy Joe Jenkins was bludgeoned to death with an 18-inch tent peg or spike weighing two pounds. At the time, she was painting in the back garden, completing chores home alone to save up pocket money to buy a pair of trainers she had had her eye on. Strange behaviour after the murder directed immediate suspicion upon Billy Joe's foster father, Sean Jenkins. But three trials and almost 26 years later, he remains a free man. Would the man entrusted to care and nurture Billy Joe be the person responsible for her murder? And if so, what was the motive? Or was a sick perpetrator one of two vagrants who loitered in the area? This is Billy Joe's story. Billy Joe Margaret Jenkins was born March 29, 1983, to parents Debbie Barnett and Bill Jenkins in London, England. The way her parents met and begun their relationship was unconventional, to say the least. I mean, I'm sure there are those of you out there with funny stories or weird stories about how you met your partner, but I am more sure that none of you would come close to Debbie and Bill. You see, Debbie and Bill met on a weird double date. Debbie's friend was visiting her partner and brought Debbie along to meet his friend. But this wasn't at a restaurant or at a bar. This was in prison, Wadsworth Prison, where Bill was serving time for a number of assaults, including an assault on a police officer. Regardless of the circumstances behind their meeting, Bill and Debbie hit it off and they began a long-distance relationship. And when Bill was released, he moved in with Debbie. Billy Joe was conceived soon after, and then six weeks after she was born, Debbie and Bill got married. Life wasn't easy after this point, though. By the time Billy Joe was eight years old, her father Bill had been sent back to prison, and her mother Debbie had developed a serious drinking problem. Debbie struggled to care for the home and Billy Joe and her younger brother without her husband to help. This was when Billy Joe and her brother were placed into foster care. They had short-term stints with their grandparents and then an aunt, as well as another family in Ilford. However, unfortunately, none of these placements ever lasted long. For reasons that are not clear, in June 1995, Billy Joe's brother would return to live with his mother. But 11-year-old Billy Joe would not. 
Instead, Billy Joe would be placed with Sean and Lois Jenkins. There's no relation. The same last name is just a coincidence. But Billy Joe knew the Jenkins. She was friends with their eldest daughter, Annie. So this seemed like the perfect environment for Billy Joe to finally be settled. Lois Jenkins was a social worker, and Sean Jenkins was the deputy headmaster for the local high school. They had four daughters themselves, 12-year-old Annie, 10-year-old Lottie, 8-year-old Esther and 7-year-old Maya. Not long after the placement, Sean was offered a headmaster position at Helenswood High School in East Sussex. Lois and Sean were sure that Billy Joe would want to return to her mother to remain close, but she didn't. She loved her life with the Jenkins. She was adamant she wanted to move away and essentially get a fresh start away from her old life. A new life and a more positive future. And by all accounts, Billy Joe thrived. She spent her weekends by the beach, and she even had her own bedroom for the first time, with the family moving into a large three-storey semi-detached home on Lower Park Road. It overlooked Alexandra Park in middle-class Hastings, East Sussex. Billy Joe was not your stereotypical troubled child of the system. By 1997, when this story takes place, for the most part, 13-year-old Billy Joe was seen as a happy, stable and well-adjusted teenager, with dreams of becoming an actor. She was well-liked with a large group of friends, friends who would later state that it was clear that Billy Joe was destined to be a star. Billy Joe's beauty and it factor unfortunately attracted unwanted attention. In 1995, when Billy Joe was only 11 years old, an unknown man was stalking her, following her between her home and the school. Lois and Sean reported this to police, and her school were made aware so extra precautions could be put in place to keep Billy Joe safe. The Jenkins home would receive a number of phone calls around this time, strange phone calls where the caller would hang up before speaking. Detective Superintendent Jeremy Payne stated, quote, she told her parents and friends that she felt like she was being followed and had spotted a man on some occasions. It appeared that she felt this man was paying attention to her for some reason. Unquote. In December 1996, Billy Joe would again tell her parents and friends that she thought she was being followed again, that she saw the man and she described him in great detail. He was a white man aged in his 40s and he always wore a leather jacket. Interestingly, or conveniently, Sean had reported seeing a man who matched this description standing across the road from their home in Alexandra Park, just standing there and staring into the family home. And then in January of 1997, the phone call started again. The family would dread the phone ringing, even disconnecting their home phone to relax. One time, Lois would return home to a phone message, left by someone who sounded like an American woman, saying, quote, He will come again and be our judge. Unquote. The family had also found their garden gate left open on a number of occasions. Both Sean and Lois told neighbours that they were worried enough that they had security lights and window locks fitted. They even considered moving. And a few days before Billy Joe's death, one of the Jenkins' cars had been vandalised. However, none of this was reported to police. 
A brand new Channel 5 original drama. Two ten-year-old girls went missing yesterday evening in the small town of Soham, Cambridgeshire. Based on real events. H-U-N-T-L-E-Y. Come on, Maxine. It wasn't him. I can't, I can't, I can't go to prison. No one's going to prison. Maxine starts Monday the 10th of October at 9 on Channel 5 and My 5. On the morning of Saturday, February 15th, 1997, Billy Joe would not stop talking about a pair of sneakers she saw during a recent trip into town. She was asking Lois and Sean what chores she could help with so she could buy these sneakers. So, while Lois took Esther and Maya to the beach, and Lottie had a music lesson with a friend, Annie and Billy Joe stayed behind with Sean to complete some household chores. Annie was tasked with cleaning out the utility room and washing the family's cars, whilst Billy Joe was in the back garden painting the patio doors. At some point that morning, Annie would later state that she found a set of large tent pegs, which she placed on the coal bunker in the back garden after a chat with her sister. Now, these weren't your normal camping tent pegs that you push into the ground. The set Annie found were more like something you would use for a large marquee. They were more the size and weight of a tire iron or maybe a small crowbar. But after their chat, Annie went through the back garden gate, closing and latching it behind her, going out to the front of the property to start washing the two remaining cars. This would be the last time Annie would see her sister alive. 3pm would be the time Sean would need to leave to pick up Lottie and her friend from their music lesson. Annie agreed to come along, jumping into Sean's MG motor vehicle, so he could put the roof down to enjoy the unseasonal warm weather. Sean told Annie that Billy Joe wanted to stay behind and finish her chores. After taking Lottie's friend home, the family returned home. Lottie stayed out the front to help Annie finish washing the car, whilst Sean went inside alone for about three minutes. He would then come back outside, telling Annie and Lottie that they needed to go with him to the DIY store. Sean telling the girls they needed to get more supplies so Annie could help her sister paint, as well as white spirit because Billy Joe had spilt some paint on the patio tiles. Things get a little strange now. En route to the DIY store, Sean decided it was too late for painting and started heading back home. But before he reached home, he changed his mind again, continuing past their house and back to the DIY store. But then when he arrived at the car park of the DIY store, he realised he didn't have his wallet with him to pay for anything. After all of that, so they never went into the DIY store and they drove off back home again. Upon arriving back home, Lottie ran ahead to find her sister. All the girls were extremely close, and at this point, Lottie hadn't seen Billy Joe all day, and she was excited to catch her up with the day's events. Lottie would be the one to discover Billy Joe lying on the back patio, blood pooled around her head. It would have been a terrifying sight for the little girl. Lottie screamed out for her father. Sean ushered his daughters into the playroom and called 999 at 3.38pm. 
When asked if Billy Joe was breathing, he replied, quote, I don't know, I haven't looked, unquote. My daughter's fallen or she's got head injuries. There's blood everywhere. Well, she's banged her head and bleeding from the head? Yes, no, well, I don't, I don't know. She's, there's blood everywhere on her head. She's lying on the floor. And can I take your name, sir? Uh, Sean Jenkins. Okay. And uh, you say she's unconscious. Is she breathing all right? She's, I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't looked. Right, okay. Did this happen while you were at the house, then? Yes, it is. I've just this minute got back. All right, so you don't know how long ago it would have... I don't know how... Well, in the, next, in the last, I don't know, half an hour, three quarters of an hour... After calling 999, Sean then called a neighbour, Denise Lancaster, to watch the distraught girls. Denise also went to check on Billy Joe. It was clear she had been beaten to death with the 18-inch tent peg weighing about two pounds and that was found near her body. Billy Joe's head was lying on top of a bin liner. Billy Joe had been hit with such force that her eyes were swollen and head misshapen. She was fully clothed. There was no signs of a struggle. Nothing seemed disturbed. Denise would later state that she was the one to discover a piece of the same bin liner that was under Billy Joe's head also stuck up her nose. This would become an important factor later in the story. Sean also touches Billy Joe's neck and claims that she feels warm to the touch. Denise would later state that Sean had a significant amount of blood on him. At one point, Sean tried to shake blood off his hands and went inside to wash the blood off. Denise insisted that Sean call 999 again to impress on them the urgency of the situation, with the second call coming in at 9.46pm. The emergency dispatcher would ask Sean to check Billy Joe's pulse, which he refused. While Sean was on the phone, Denise tried to stop the bleeding from Billy Joe's head by wrapping her wounds in a towel. When paramedics arrived, they found Sean sitting in his MG convertible. This would be where he would stay while paramedics worked on attempting to save Billy Joe's life. But unfortunately, it was all too late. 13-year-old Billy Joe Jenkins was pronounced dead at the scene. Pathologist Ian Hill would be entrusted with the autopsy. He would determine that Billy Joe had died due to fatal blows to the head. The wounds to her head were described as random, caused by an estimated nine blows. Billy Joe's nose was broken and she had severe bruising over her left eye, a two-by-two-inch injury to her right forehead. This had depressed her skull into an oval shape. Billy Joe's brain had been torn badly and lacerated during the attack. She had defensive wounds in the form of bruising and abrasions to her forearms and one to the back of the hand. Interestingly, Billy Joe had bruising around both of her wrists, which appeared to be about a week old at the time of her death. And finally, there was no indication that Billy Joe had been sexually assaulted. The murder weapon was found to have blood on both ends. Dr Hill theorised in his report that he believed this was due to the weapon being held in the middle during the attack rather than at one end. Whoever had used it, though, had been careful because there was no fingerprints found on the weapon. Despite the meticulous care taken not to leave evidence behind, Dr Hill could only explain the attack against Billy Joe as a frenzied attack with very small opportunity to carry out the crime.
The murder of Billy Joe Jenkins quickly grabbed headlines across the country, and police were feeling the pressure to make an arrest. Led by Detective Superintendent Jeremy Payne, they would quickly identify a person of interest known only as Mr B. Mr B was a 44-year-old homeless man who would harass residents of Hastings. He would approach people, asking them could he stay with them. It was apparent Mr B had untreated mental disorders. Quote, We had a rather confusing conversation, and it was obvious that he had mental health problems. Unquote. Another resident would tell local media outlets, quote, He stared at us as we walked by. He was rubbing his nose and making snorting noises. It made me feel uncomfortable. Unquote. Mr. B came to the attention of investigators as witnesses placed him close to the Jenkins family home in Alexandra Park at the time of Billy Joe's murder. Mr. B also had a fetish for plastic bags. In fact, at the time of his arrest, he actually had a piece of plastic bag stuck up his nose, just like Billy Joe was found, with more pieces of plastic found in his underwear when he was strip-searched. However, that was the extent of the evidence against Mr. B, and police would quickly rule him out as a suspect. Mr. B's clothing were tested for Billy Joe's DNA, and they came back negative. And given Mr. B was homeless and didn't have access to a change of clothes, the police didn't believe it was likely he was the person responsible for murdering the teen. Mr. B would be formally cleared of suspicion and placed under the care of a psychiatrist. February 24, 1997, nine days after Billy Joe's murder, police announced that they found their next person of interest. Only this time, the person investigators believed to be involved would shock not only the local community, but the entire nation. Police announced that Sean Jenkins, Billy Joe's foster father, was under arrest for her murder. Police had been suspicious of Sean since the early days of the investigation, but as they looked further into the family's movements of the day in question, more and more did not make sense. Sean said he was going to the DIY store to buy white spirit, but a search of the family home found almost a full bottle in one of the cupboards. To me, this isn't a smoking gun or anything. I go to the shops and buy things all the time, only to come home and my partner to tell me that we already have three of the very same thing. The route Sean took to the DIY store that afternoon was not the most direct route either. Instead, he drove twice in a loop around Alexandra Park before heading to the DIY store. And then there was the changing the mind and then changing his mind again before not buying anything anyway because Sean didn't have his wallet. Was this Sean trying to give himself the longest possible alibi and the fictional intruder the longest possible time to kill Billy Joe and then get away? It was also very unusual for a parent not to want to attempt CPR on their dying child, or even place Billy Joe in a recovery position when he found her. And even more strangely, after that second call to 999, he left. He went outside and sat in his car, closing the roof of his MG convertible. 158 microscopic blood spots were also discovered on Sean's clothing. And being microscopic, you can't see these blood spots with your naked eye. 
Police would argue these blood spots may have landed on Sean when he was attacking Billy Joe. Media outlets would also uncover Sean had lied about his qualifications to gain his headmaster position, calling into question his character and how truthful he was in everything he said. However, the most damning suspicion would come from his very own wife, Lois Jenkins. She would say that at the time she learned Billy Joe had been killed, she embraced Sean for comfort. However, when she did, he didn't seem affected, that he seemed disconnected and cold. The way he explained Billy Joe was dead to his four girls, Lois would later state that she came to the realisation that possibly Sean may have been involved. Lois would also allege there had been a history of domestic violence throughout their relationship. She would claim that Sean was violent and controlling, and he would regularly beat her and hit their daughters. There were occasions that Sean would use a stick to hit the children should they misbehave. Regardless, Sean Jenkins would be released on bail on February 25, 1997. He would leave Hastings and his family to live with his parents in Wales. On March 14, 1997, Sean Jenkins would be officially charged with Billy Joe's murder. He would be bailed again 10 days later. April 1998, Sean Jenkins' first trial into the murder of his foster daughter. This trial would not last long, being adjourned quickly before resuming on June 3, 1998. The prosecution would argue that Billy Joe's murder occurred in the three minutes between Sean arriving home with the girls after Lottie's music practice and then the family leaving to go on the convoluted trip to the DIY store. The prosecution claimed he flew into a rage when he saw that Billy Joe had spilt paint on the patio tiles, that he picked up the tent peg and violently attacked the teen. A forensic expert for the prosecution testified that the only way the microscopic blood spots could have gotten onto Sean's clothes would be while he was attacking Billy Joe. June 2nd, 1998. The jury would find Sean Jenkins guilty of the murder of Billy Joe Jenkins. His sentence was life imprisonment. Soon after Sean's conviction, Lois left their Hastings family home with the four girls, and they moved to Tasmania, Australia. Immediately after his conviction, Sean's legal team filed an appeal. This would be rejected in April of 1999. However, May 2003 would see his case referred back to the Court of Appeal after a two-year investigation by the Criminal Cases Review Commission. The second appeal took place in August 2004, and he was successful. The original conviction was overturned and a new trial was ordered. Sean was released on bail again pending his trial. So I must state, when you read articles stating he was in jail from the time of his initial arrest, this is simply untrue. Yes, he served a sentence, but it was half the length mentioned in contemporary news articles. Sean Jenkins' retrial would commence in April 2005. This time, the defence team would focus on the blood. They argued they were able to demonstrate another explanation for the blood on Sean's clothes. The defence argued that the blood found on Sean's clothes wasn't there because he attacked her, that it was more like expiration splatter that was released by the build-up of pressure on Billy Joe's lungs. 
They argued that the blood was expelled while Sean was besides Billy Joe while she died. The experts they used were actually able to provide practical examples proving their arguments. Despite this new evidence, the jury were unable to reach a verdict. And on June 11, 2005, Sean Jenkins was acquitted. A hung jury was called on the grounds that Billy Joe may have suffered from a rare condition that caused blood to be expelled from her lungs after death. It was also ruled that at that point, that no other retrials would be had in this case. Now, Sean did call for the murder case to be reopened following his acquittal. Speaking outside of court, Sean Jenkins said, quote, Billy Joe's murderer has escaped detection because of the dreadful errors in the police investigation and their single-minded and desperate determination to convict me at all costs. The police who have been in charge of the inquiry have been willfully blind and incompetent. Unquote. Sean has gone on to write a book about his quote-unquote wrongful conviction and murder case. Sean is still adamant that Mr B was the one responsible. That a few days before Billy Joe was murdered, Mr B had attacked another girl using a plastic bag over her head. The Sussex police have publicly claimed that Sean's book is full of lies, and that he continues to spread false information regarding the case and the individual police officers that Dalton interviewed him. For his part, Sean has said he is dedicated to finding out the identity of Billy Joe's true murderer and putting them behind bars. Sean Jenkins has since remarried. Lois Jenkins still lives in Tasmania. To this day, she believes that Sean was the man who killed Billy Joe. Sean has not seen his daughters since being released from prison. February 14, 2017, 20 years since Billy Joe was brutally murdered. Billy Joe's biological mother, Debbie Barnett. Debbie called for the case to be reopened by Sussex Police. Earlier this year, 2022, Sean Jenkins called for the same thing. It was then that it emerged in an investigation by the Mirror newspaper that Antonie Amelia, otherwise known as the M25 rapist, Emilia lived just 20 miles from the Jenkins family home. He was known to target young girls, with his youngest victim being just 10 years old. Also revealed that Emilia's description matched that of the person who was stalking Billy Joe in the months before her murder. On one occasion, he also attacked a girl by putting a plastic bag over her head. Despite all this investigation, it does not appear that there has been any movement on these leads. The police seem confident that the M25 rapist isn't linked to the teen's murder. 2006. It was revealed that police failed to DNA test the tent peg that was used to beat Billy Joe to death. While the science behind DNA analysis wasn't as advanced in 1997 as it is today, it seems a travesty that the tent peg wasn't tested. DNA has been known to bust cases wide open, with crucial evidence being uncovered. But maybe it's not too late. Cold case detectives are now once again re-examining the crime scene evidence that was collected at the time of the murder, in the hope that new DNA and blood tests and the splatter found on Sean Jenkins could shed light onto who really was responsible for killing Billy Joe. 
Sussex Police stressed that this was part of the regular review process, with the last being that review in 2006. But it's not because they have come across any fresh developments. Quote, We will always examine any new information or forensic opportunities which may lead to new lines of inquiry wherever they arise. Unquote. It is not clear whether the tent peg was or is part of this new DNA analysis. It has almost been 26 years since this tragic murder, and no one has been brought to justice for ending this beautiful young girl's life. Her family and friends, along with the Sussex police, are still trying to get justice for Billy Joe, and hopefully, with the continuing advances of forensic technology, it could just crack this case wide open. Rest in peace, Billy Joe. You were taken far too soon. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. new Channel 5 original drama. Two ten-year-old girls went missing yesterday evening in the small town of Soham, Cambridgeshire. Based on real events. H-U-N-T-L-E-Y. Come on, Maxine. It wasn't him. I can't, I can't, I can't go to prison. No one's going to prison. Maxine starts Monday the 10th of October at 9 on Channel 5 and My 5. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.